As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You're listening to The Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle. All right, James, let's start off by first, we never do this, so I want to actually do it, and I've tried to remind myself. Let's thank Andrew Nolan, who produces the show every week, or not every week because we don't do it every week, (laughs) but every time uh, when we try to actually schedule it and don't, he's very good about making this happen, so... Yeah, and he's the one that helped us get the microphone, the one microphone the one we microphone. have. And and we're going to buy a second microphone here because I found one at Best Buy. And, um, yeah, no, he's been great. He picks the music. And uh, good music. Yeah. He does good with it. Anyway. It's a very thankless position because this podcast makes hardly any money. The only money we get is a small sponsor- sponsorship from Babsox. So we're thinking – I was thinking of doing a Patreon account where people could donate money to the podcast if they want. So – if that's something you're interested in, let me know on Twitter and we'll think about doing it. Because if, if we had a little bit more money, we could pay the producer more than table scraps. And we could get better equipment. and we Professionalize could, it? We could hopefully do it a little bit more often. We could put some money into being able to do it when one of us is on the road. Like it, So we haven't done the podcast and I think it's been three weeks. Because you were gone for quite a long time with the outdoor game and the Florida game and the trade deadline and... Um, and then now I'm going on the road for a long time starting next week. So uh, that might be a gap again. And I, everyone on, on online complains, well, you know, you you guys should be able to do it on, over the phone or whatever. It's, it's not that easy. It's not that easy to do it with good sound quality. And we're busy. Like you, people would be surprised the kind of hours that we work. You know, I, I probably work 70 hours a week, you know, and you travel a lot more than I do and. You're at the arena till one or two o'clock in the morning. You know, it's the podcast is something we just kind of do on the side, and we'd like to make it better. So, okay, well, welcome to the Leaf Report. Good. Yeah, that was a good spiel by Bab Sox. I like the podcast. I'd like it to get better. It'd be cool. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how many people are listening to it. So we should uh, try to do better. Yeah, we'll try and do better. 
Okay, um, so I wrote down a lot of topics for us to talk about, and some of them, like, because we missed so many podcasts, um, are, like, trade deadline-y stuff. Do you want to start, like, where do you want to start? Where would you prefer to start with newer stuff, or would you prefer to start with stuff like we've missed over the last couple of weeks? So you were gone eight days on the road, which is a long trip, because they played the two games Monday, Tuesday, and then they had a big break, but they stayed on the road, and then they had the outdoor game. What was your takeaway from that trip being with the team? Because um, I've been away from the Leafs for almost two weeks now. What, 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 like, what, what did you observe or what did you think you saw from the team and, and from Babcock? And That's a good question. They didn't play that well. Um, I think they got worse. as the, Actually, they were okay in Florida. Um, Florida didn't generate anything. Tampa, they weren't great. The Wildcard game, they were bad. Um, and Babcock after that game, like there's some games you can predict when he's going to kind of blow a gasket a little bit. And that was one of them. Like he was really, I think it embarrassed might be too strong, but like, that's a big game. Weren't like the high danger chances against them, like brutal. And yeah. yeah. For like the first two periods, it was like, I want to say it was like 13 or 15, five or something like that. Um, so it wasn't a great trip, but like we could see this coming. Like you and I had been talking about this. Um, during that 13, what was it, 13-2-0 or whatever it was? They won 13-15. Yeah, 13-2-2, I think. Yeah, like this was coming just because Frederick Anderson wasn't going to play as well as he had been playing for so long. And then you lose Matthews, and like that changes yeah. the dynamic. Like we, we, we didn't – the funny thing is like during that whole trip, until the Saturday in Ann Arbor – Ann Arbor, Annapolis, it didn't come up at all. And like I, we talked about this before on the podcast – you forget how important one player is when he's your best player, and so those are. Just yeah, some I was thinking of writing some today, looking at the difference when in games when they've had Matthews and when they haven't. I don't know if I'm gonna have time to do it or not, but you know, like throw their record out and just look at what's happening on the well, ice. Well, and, and like if you look at their record, so they were six four and zero the first time, the first ten games he was out. They had a nine fifty save percentage, right, would, five yeah. zero, like. Right. It's, they they didn't they barely survived. You know what the other problem I've seen too watch on TV is that Placanich has not been good. So no. you lose Matthews and then you bring in this new center that can't like he doesn't he looks worse than Dominic Moore. He, he's really struggled. I'm working on a story about that. He looks very uncomfortable. Yeah. In his surre- uh, surroundings and like you would expect that like you play one year fifteen or fifteen years. It took in Brian one place. Boyle a little while. Yeah, it took I rem- Brian. Remember the first five games. I did a story when I was at CP about that that he was having a really tough time. Like it's it's not just like the on ice stuff, and I'll get into this in my story. It's a lot of like the off ice stuff, and it, and I don't just mean family and stuff, which is part of it. Like his his family is staying in Montreal. Yeah, his kids but are like, like three and five. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's like the dynamic in the dressing room, little things like that where you're just not comfortable. Hmm. So. But that makes a big difference. I mean, he played a thousand games with a team. Like it's Boyle had at least moved around a little bit. Yeah, and he found it hard. Most players you talk to who get traded and they've been in one spot for a while find it very hard. This is well, not. Uh, it's such a weird situation where they have the Leafs have so many games that don't really matter that much. Like it's not like they're pushing for it's a playoff spot. It's never happened since I have covered the team. Right. They've either been well, they've missed and they've been out of it, or right? been like careening off a cliff. Right. So, okay, so let's talk about the trade deadline. Um, couple, let's we can start with Pukanich. Pukanits? I, I can never, I can never, I think. yeah, Pukanich, Pukanit. Okay, forget it. The Czech um, names have those weird, it probably has like seven accents under like this different letters, yeah. So, 
this isn't really a surprise. Like that was a move we expected, given their weakness at center, given how much Mike Babcock wanted another. Center. There wasn't a lot available and either. Well, there wasn't a lot available that's that that's much what I mean, better at center. Yeah. yeah. They got lucky that Placanich didn't want to go to Winnipeg because I, I would have thought the Jets would have offered quite a bit more because it. That's interesting because you would rather obviously you'd rather have Paul Stasny, but Paul Stasny costs a lot more. Uh, yeah, you're right. They did get Stasny. I was I wasn't forgetting that. But like that could have been like their sec. They could have had all these. They did try really hard right? to get Placanich, though. They did. Yeah. So. But it's like it, it's it's amazing how things work like each year. So last year, Tampa has all these injuries, so they're out of it. So Steve Eisenman decides to like cash in chips where he can. Yeah. This year, Montreal sucks. So there's an opportunity to, to get Pekanitz. And then, you know what I mean? Like you, All the kind of cards have to like stack up in the right way to get the guy. How about St. Louis? Like They're still technically in it. And like we, I would have said they were a contender like three weeks ago. And then they trade Stasny and the team. The players were like, what? Do you like that move, though? I kind of like I, I, I don't, don't know how know. to feel. About I think they that. still have a chance, though. Yeah, I wouldn't true. have done it. I on I I don't know why. What's it's their, not that different from like the, the talk we thinking. had about trading James Van Riemsdyk. If you're Toronto, he's Destiny's a center. He's yeah, one of their top two centers. He was playing true. big minutes. I, and I think St. Louis is a veteran team. I mean, I know they have some good young players, but just if you have Petrangelo and yeah, they, their goaltending's kind of been like all over the place, and that's yeah, I, it's like I don't kind really of going, get it. That's true. It's kind of like going half like, in. When you're getting a late first round pick, yeah, no half measures. Well, it's I, like you're you're dampening the, your chances to win. The Leafs had a better better argument to sell because they have so many young players. I don't think they're quite there yet. St. Louis, they like at the beginning of the year, you they should have been thinking we can win. And yeah. not only Their that, but they've been really bad. Not only that, they trade Stastny to Winnipeg, a team that, like, if <laughs> yeah. they go on a run in the playoffs, they have to go through. Like, That's true. It, it almost felt like Armstrong was like punishing his team for like the six game losing streak. Did you read the story after that Jeremy Rutherford did about? Yeah, about him, uh, Mike Yo calling out a lot of the players, or the no, one the after one about the trade. yeah after the trade. Yeah, and... it seemed like Armstrong was emotional. Yeah. I think that's like the worst thing a GM can be is like emotional. It was almost like you make decisions. You've been bad kids, and I really like Doug Armstrong. I think he's a good GM, but I don't. Well, they lost like four in a row or something at that point. I think it was six, but so. it's but like so. <laughs> I don't know. You need to take it. Like I feel like if you're a GM, you have to take a bigger picture view. Well, I mean, I guess technically that is a bigger picture view. That... No, but it's like you got to zoom out from the emotion of the day to day, right? That's the coach. Like, that's the co- how the coach can handle things. But, like, as a GM, I feel like you have to, like, step back and be like, okay, we've lost a few in a row. If we had won a few in a row, would I make this trade? So, like, trading Stastny, it's, like, I think you can argue that if you move JVR from the Leafs, they're still basically the same level of strength. I don't think trading Stastny is the same thing with St. Louis. Yeah, like, I think it, I think it, it takes them from a long shot, but potentially a team that could win, to, like, they're probably not going to make the playoffs now. So. I never thought they should have fired Hitchcock, so right. I didn't like that. Well, Hitchcock's done a good job in Dallas. So. He's a great coach. Yeah, I'm, he drives it. He I'm drives the, the players fucking fan. crazy, though. Yes, I think he's, the Blues were I think like he's just relentless. Yeah, he's a chatterer, and I think that would drive players. He's nuts. never. He doesn't turn off. Like, no. Yeah, I think that's probably a lot of the really good coaches. Well, you have to be half psycho to be like the well, amount they work. The stories I hear about Sheldon Keefe, I mean, we can see with Babcock. Babcock is like, he's at the rink at five in the morning all the time. Babcock is wired like, I wish I didn't need sleep the way he does. And I think he gets to the rink for games at like three 
I've also never seen a coach work out as much as Babcock. He's yeah, like always dripping in sweat. He's like always running everywhere. He's always like I think it sends a message too to players. Like if I'm gonna expect you to be on all the time, I'm gonna be on all the time. He's on way more than the player. Like the players must be like, Holy crap. <laughs> Babs is just like yeah, they're like we all know people in life, like we have friends or whatever that are like are like that. They're always going, they're always doing I I had a friend in high school that was like that, always doing something, always you know, had two jobs and like was going to school and like, and he ended up really, really successful. And that's just not, that's not the way I'm wired. Like I move at a pretty slow pace, but you know, and we were both ended up being successful, but I, I just Babcock, there's a lot of things that are really admirable about him. His work ethic is unreal. Like all that stuff that he preaches isn't, isn't bullshit. He doesn't cut any corners and Anyway, I don't know. We're on a tangent. I forget how we got. Okay, well, let's I forget it, how we got there. Let's bring it back to the trade deadline. Um, you wrote a story around. Actually, you wrote a couple stories. Let's focus on Ryan McDonough. How close do you think they actually got to getting him? Apparently, not that close. Apparently, their package wasn't anywhere near good enough compared to what Tampa offered. You were sitting with me in the press box when the Leafs were playing Boston, and I started to get. Yeah. I started getting messages from. I started getting tips that the Leafs ran on McDonough, which I don't think, I'm pretty sure wasn't out there yet. So I started writing the piece during the, that game. And um, at that point, I didn't know how close it was because it depended what the Rangers thought of what was being offered. I think the Leafs put a bunch of like their B-level prospects in front of the Rangers. So like the Broncos, the... Yeah, like, Andrew Nielsen. Yeah, I don't know who it was, guys, but yeah. it wasn't like, there's no way it was Dermot or Lilgren or... Like anyone that they, it wasn't any of like their, it wasn't Kapanen, it wasn't any anything like that. Okay, so let's. I say, heard there were multiple teams ahead of the Leafs for McDonough. Okay, well, so if you were the Leafs and you were in that position and New York came to you and said like, we'll do it, but like we want Dermot or we want. I don't think so. Would you do it? No. Maybe if, if McDonough was a right shot, it would be a much harder decision, I think. It just, like. If they bring him in, he's, he hasn't played on the right side very much. Neither has Riley, neither has Gardner, neither has Dermott. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Does that make you better? Well, it would make your... It makes you a little bit better, for sure. But... It makes you better. Like, maybe your third pair is Dermot Hainsey and your first pair is Riley McDonough. Yeah. That's, it I makes would you do... better. Yeah, it does make you better. Yep. But I don't know who you're trade Like, so you're not trading Dermot. Like, do you trade Lilligren? Do you trade Kapanen? Do you, like... You still don't know what those guys are. You know what's interesting? I don't know what you think about this. I almost think that after you get past those guys we're naming, the Leafs prospect pool isn't that good anymore. Well, Andreas Johnson and then and then Yeah, but he's 23. Off. I think yeah. he's 24 this okay. year. Yeah. So young prospects, how good? They're other all than the NHL. Lilgren, They're all stars. Yes. Yeah. So they've already graduated all there. But what you want to have is like what Tampa and Anaheim and some of these other teams have, Winnipeg. You're graduating all of these picks. You've got like it, it continues to come and continues to come. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that the Leafs. I don't know. I don't. No, they're not there yet. They they pulled Dermot and Kappen and up from the Marlies. The Marlies have been losing quite a few games. Yeah, they've won a lot of games this year based on goaltending, not necessarily on. They've got guys like Ben Smith playing a lot. I just wonder if the Leafs are going to have to put more work into the the prospect pool. It's. I, I mean, it's hard to evaluate how well they've drafted this early mm-hmm. but it feels like their mid to later round picks the last two drafts have not been that good i mean we'll see what guys it does like, take time we'll see what rassin and those guys turn out to be but yeah. i guess all, I, all i'm saying is that 
their prospect pool might not be that great once all of these guys are once the main guys are in the NHL. Well, it's like you look at what Tampa did, and like last year, Braden Point comes out of nowhere yes. and is just like a star. Yes, and it doesn't feel like they have that, and and that's hard. Like they that's, have Dotchkin, and they have they traded for Sergachev, which was a good deal. The Leafs are probably gonna have to do some like Sergachev like things, maybe. I don't know who they move. That's a that that trade is just insane. How how many like tangents come from it? Like because if they it's don't if they don't trade for if Tampa. they don't make that trade, they have to probably expose Nemestikov. Right. Keep Drewan, don't get Sergachev, which means you don't get McDonough at the deadline. Like there's all these little things. Well, they didn't think Drewan was worth the contract, and you look at how he's played. He's got ten goals. You look at how I know, he's played. I drafted him, and it's not worked out. He's not a center. Like in Montreal, just doesn't have any other options. And yeah, and I think Eiserman watched Drewan a lot and thought really good power play player, not a big difference maker at even strength, not a center. I'm not paying this guy. I think he got $5 million a year for six years or yeah, five years like or something that. like that. And he's he's not worth the money. So those are the kind of value. And then Sergachev plays so well right away. Like, they didn't know he was going to make the team. And he's yeah. he's going to have whatever, like 40-some points. Uh, maybe that's not the kind of trade the Leafs need to make. I'm just thinking, like, like when Dermott's contract comes up, if he's, like, a key piece on the team, he's mm-hmm. going to require money and Lilgren and... They might have to start moving. I don't know. Well, is there maybe a, you move a Brown for a younger guy that's not proven or something? So then, is there any argument to not trading these second round picks for you mean the Pukanich thing for fourth line centers? Yeah, and Brian Boyle last year. There's it, there's an argument for it. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I don't know. It's hard because like even with prospects, they could be nothing. Do you know what I mean? Like you could you could say I'm not going to trade prospect X for Ryan McDonough, and that guy turns out to never play in the NHL, and like you've cost yourself two seasons of having Ryan McDonough. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, no, it's, it's interesting. It's like, a really hard balance. Apparently, the Rangers wanted those prospects that they got for McDonough, the Libor. Oh man, I shouldn't even get. Wouldn't into you want stuff. like Tampa prospects? Like it makes sense. Yeah, they seem that to Brett be- Howden looks like a pretty good. He was like 26 overall or something. He played for Team Canada. His point totals in the in junior are crazy. I like that that Tampa, I noticed this, they have a lot of Russians. Yes. And it seems like that's a trend that needs to correct itself a little bit. Well, that was when they picked Veselovsky and Nemesnikov. I wrote about this with with Tampa when they were in the cup final a couple years ago. It's one of Kucherov. It's one of the inefficiencies in the draft that they picked up on. Yeah. And they did a really good job of not only uh, signing those guys, but also getting them to come over and play. And... I know there's risk. Like, I'm trying to at, think how to put this. Sometimes the Russian guys can be really hard to negotiate contracts with, and that's what they they ran into with Nemestikov. That's what they're going to run into with Kucherov. Well, and you see in Dallas, the Nikushkin just leaves. Yes. And like, so those a, guys. Well, and I pick. think that the Leafs ran into it with with Zaitsev, and they can they almost have like another option where there's especially if they're really talented guys like Kucherov can get a lot of money in the KHL. I mean, he can get a ton of money in the NHL now, but Nemestikov's the same way and. It feels like they almost, they or the Russian agents or whatever, negotiate harder than, than other guys sometimes. And well, like, I mean, Zaitsev's a really good example. Like, I remember Lou Lamorello's conference call afterward. He, he basically just said, like, they wanted seven and we wanted six. And so we're like, okay, seven. I'm paraphrasing, but like, I don't know. No. That never made any well, sense to me. I know he's had the injury and whatever, but he's been one of their biggest problems this year. Okay, the whole right side of that defense has been a problem. We're going to talk about that, but but before we... I'm talking about it right now. The Kucherov thing reminds me of... You wrote a story about 
William Neolander and what they're going to do with his next contract. Yeah. The Kucherov one is not a perfect example, but it's not a, a terrible one either. Well, he's the guy I was comparing him to because he had two 60-point seasons right, right. Leading, right so leading up like, to that. Now that you look at what Tampa did, so they went bridge and they signed him, I think, three, three years, 4.45 or something like that? 7.6, I think, yeah. Total? 4.76. Okay, yeah. right. Um, looking at it now, he's going to get... 12 on his next contract, 11, 10, whatever the yeah, hell it is. Yeah, 9.5, 10, I would what probably do, say. You came to the conclusion that it's better to go long and take a lower number. Yeah. And I think I agree with that, but does is any part of you look at what Tampa is able to do and construct a really good roster for three years? But I think you could, like, the in to argue for the long-term deal, you, you're you taking a little bit of short-term pain for long-term gain, like huge gain. Like, it hurts you a yeah. little bit in the first two years, but you get a benefit like for the next six years after that. Yeah. I just think that when he's way outperforming his yeah. contract. Yeah. yeah. And I was thinking about it. Like, I wonder what the number for Neilander would be on a seven or an eight year deal. Like it Didn't might you not land at seven. Yeah. But it might not even be that high. Like I wonder. Six. Yeah. And if, if they're going to do 6 million at eight years, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know, but you obviously have to have that negotiation with the agent. What you do is you, I think what you do is you put a whole bunch of different years in front of them and, and get different numbers for the years. Okay, well, Goudreau got 6.75, and he had a he's older, but he had a better case. Like, he had better numbers than, than And Neander. would he get six years? Yeah, six years, 6.75. So, Neander wouldn't get seven. So, maybe he does get six. In that case, well, I, caps do, higher I do it tomorrow. He's younger, and... I do it. Yeah, for seven. Yeah. I, I just... I, you know what? I looked at it. Tyler Dello and I were arguing and Tyler's like, you got to bridge these guys because you can use your leverage that you have now and et cetera, et cetera. But if you do that, and the other thing Tyler was arguing was that um, you sign him to a, a two or a three-year deal and then you give him the eight-year deal, you've got control of the player for longer. They're not hitting unrestricted free agency. But if you give if you give Nylander an eight-year deal now, you've got him until he's 30. Yeah, and then at that point, you might not want to pay him anymore. I think... One of the arguments I made in the piece was that you look at where JVR is now. He's 28 years old, and everyone's like, well, he's old. Like, you know, he's declining. You don't want to sign a declining guy. Yeah. I think that if we go forward eight more years, teams might not. A 30 year old William Nylander might only be like, a, he might be like your sixth best forward, or he might, like, he might not be a. Yeah. He's your one of your stars now. He might not be in seven, eight years. Well, and like, let's say, let's say it was six. Next year, he's worth more than six. Yes. And then the year after, he's worth even more than that. You know you, what I mean? Like you just you just look at his even strength production, and it's like puts him in the top twenty in the league. So, and I think part of the reason the power play production isn't there is because he's not on the top unit. Yeah, and he's whatever. not on a good unit. But I wrote about this in in Florida. What do you think he is? Neilander? Yeah, like I have no idea how good he can be. I don't know if he's well. Like a he's already goal a guy. sixty point guy. Is he? Is he a thirty goal scorer? Is he like he, like the Kane comparison sort of works a little bit. In that he can score, but he can also he's also creative enough and skillful enough to set up guys. I don't know what he is. Like I don't know who compares to him in the league. Kane isn't like isn't no, perfect, not, but no. like I don't know who it is. Oh man. It's just he's such a unique player. And he and the thing with him is and like he's not always going. And that's like Mike Babcock's like mission with him. Yeah. If he was going all the time, well, be, and that's a concern with an eight year contract too. That's something that I didn't put it in the story, but like I was thinking, yeah, so. you just wonder. But I don't know. I think he is like I think he, I think he does want to be good. Yes, he he does. He just wavers day to day, but like on the overall, he he like puts in a lot of work. Yeah, like he's, he's there after practice late, a long and, time, 
Yeah. Yeah. He loves hockey. Like you can tell it's just like in his, it's just like, it's just who he is. You know, he loves being on the ice and yeah, he's a student of the game. Like there's a reason why he can shoot the puck that well and pass the puck that well. And well, his shots like is, it's, yeah. it's just, his like dad didn't Matthews. shoot the puck like that. No, like his, his dad, dad was, was a setup. Yeah. Guy. It was a playmaker. Yeah. Who do you think, this is a hard question. Who do you think will end up being better? Him or Neil or Marner? If you had to like guess. I think I might say him. I think they're going to be because of the I goal they're going to be close. Just because of the goal scoring. Yeah. Like, he's going to score. Yeah. The weird thing is like he hasn't scored a ton this year and some of that shooting percentage and some of that's power play and he's still going to have 60 some odd points. What do you think of this if they don't move Nylander to center? Do they have too many right wings to give enough playing time to? Well, they're some of their best young guys are right wings. Kapanen, Marner, Nylander, Kapanen, Brown. So, like, you almost run into a problem unless... What does that matter? Have you talked like to Kapanen about playing left side? Like, No, actually, I meant to do that. Or Brown? Well, they're going to have an opening, obviously, on the left side with yes. Reamsdyke. Well, it'll just be a shame if you've got, like, a guy in the fourth line at right because he's a right wing, and then on well, the left, left can, side you have an opening. Brown can play left wing. Right. So that's, that's probably what they do next year. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what their lineup looks like. Like you could have a third line of like the thing Brown, to keep in mind, and someone. The thing to keep in mind is they have like eighteen million in cap space. So if I think if they where make, are you spending that? Though? If they make Dubis the GM, I think you get aggressive and you try and like you try and take people's contracts and like you. I mean that's a that's a ton of cap space. Do you think we're ever going to get to a point where teams start doing offer sheets like normal nah. professional sports leagues? In the NBA, it's just like normal. Teams just do it, and it's not seen as like antagonistic. It's just like. Yeah, we're giving you an it probably there will probably be some like quote unquote maverick GMs. Well, like, maybe he'll be one. Yeah. Okay, so this is a good transition. <laughs> that, that was unintentional. Um, you wrote this week about Kyle Dubas. Should he be the next GM? Will he be the next GM? If you haven't read it, go to theathletic.com and, and check it out. But subscribe today. Yeah, I will give James. you a discount on Twitter. But so kind of summarize where your head is at with that possibility. I still I wrote last May. That I thought he was going to be the next GM, and I still believe that. But it's not; it's like an eighty-five percent certainty in my mind. I don't know for what, next year, or just generally. Generally, but I think next year. It's hard because we don't know what Brendan Shanahan is thinking. I tried to. I try in those pieces just to lay out here's what's here's what could happen. Here's well, what's likely to happen. Here's what will happen if that happens. Well, you laid out three possibilities. Yeah. I mean, either they keep Lou. I think that with Lou, they might just extend him one year and say, let's just, Shanahan would have to go and convince everyone to like, let's do one more year the way it is. It's working well. You know, the team's doing well, whatever, whatever. Um, I don't know if that would work or not. The other option is that Kyle Dubas becomes the GM. Lou Lamarillo becomes senior advisor. That ain't, that's not going to happen, but yeah. That last, there's no way he'll be a senior advisor. Well, you think he's just going to, what, retire? He'll go to another team? Like, he, no, no other team's going to make him a GM. What's he going to do? I don't, yeah, maybe. I, I, th- I can't I think he, see him in that role. He might stay he's in, He's like, a control freak. Yeah. Like, he, is he really going to want to be senior advisor? And if you're Kyle Dubas, do you really want him being your senior advisor? I don't know. I was going to say, maybe he stays and, like, tries to, like, exert as much control as he can through, like, as many channels as he can. I don't know. It'd just be weird. It'd be, I think it would be very uncomfortable, like, he, he would become the senior advisor. What if you're Dubas and, like, you want to change a lot of the things that he's been doing? I don't There's know. There's some stuff I didn't get in the piece, like... 
like the way that the decision making is being done in the Leafs front office right now, I don't think is ideal. In but what way? There's not like one other than Shanahan. There's not like one decider. Like your GM should be should be your the guy making the calls, but they've got Babcock influencing. They've got Lamorello influencing. They've got Dubas trying to. Yeah, but Influence, I don't know. They've that got that's a hunter. A thing like that's like the Obama thing, where you try to surround yourself yeah. with different opinions. I think they have voices. too many. <laughs> I think they mm. might have too many, and there's like kind of it. it like it's hard to do things. <laughs> it's like I, I think one of the things that one of the reasons Pittsburgh does well is that Jim Rutherford can be kind of like mavericky and like do like let's go get Broussard, let's get Kessel, and like let's do like this really different, unique stuff. And the Leafs aren't doing that. Like the Leafs are not being. They're not being very uh, proactive, creative. Innovative. They're not being very creative. Yeah, and it's hard to be creative if you have five different people that are really sprite and that have different ideas because they're all gonna like. If you have just five people pulling in different directions, you're not gonna land on the creative thing. Yeah, but you're not like so. That's why I think like if you just have Dubis, he's in charge. He's the final say or whatever. And Pridham is there helping him, and maybe Lou's there helping him a little bit too. Who knows what. I think that maybe you make some more bold choices, which I think they're going to need to do. Yeah. I think it's going to get harder. Okay, like, but so let's work through some of the ramifications. Let's say you do that. A, what happens to Mark Hunter? I don't because think Because I he, do not think Mark no. Hunter would want to work for, I think Kyle Dubas is 31, you said? 32. 32? He's, I think he's my age. He's 33 in uh, November. Oh, so he's a year older than me. Um, I do not think Mark Hunter would want to work for Kyle Dubas. No, so and if you're, Brent, were, I think they were kind of rivals in the OHL, and he's so let's thirty years older than him. Some of the conundrums that Brendan Shanahan faces. and it does sound like Mark Hunter wants to be GM. Yes, which okay. was uncertain before. But. So you're Brendan Shanahan. Are you prepared to lose Mark Hunter to make Kyle Dubas? I would GM? be because I think that the way that the Leafs will scout under Dubas will be a lot different. I think that they'll bring in a lot of analytical tools. Mm-hmm. You look at what some teams are doing in terms of like projecting off of junior numbers what players can be, and there's some really advanced computational things that some teams are starting to do with the draft that I don't know if the Leafs are into right now mm-hmm. that maybe they could get into. I think that Dubas would go out and find you know, the brightest... Like, like part of what I was arguing in the piece is that the Leafs need to be ahead of the curve in terms of being progressive, yes. not behind it. And I think that if you stick, I just think that Dubas would be trying to find those next things that put you ahead, as opposed to the problem with, I think Lamorello and, and all these people have done a good job in the front office. The problem is they're doing it the way it's always been done. Sure. And that includes signing Matt Martin and signing Nikita Zaitsev and Marlo. trading second round picks for fourth line centers and Marlowe and McElhaney's the backup. And I know a lot of that stuff has worked out, but I think that they need to be a little bit more, a little bit bolder. I think it's going to get like trying to hit home runs, basically. Yeah. And, and like not being afraid to do things that, that old, that established hockey people would be like, what? Like right, the, like under Kyle Dubas, they're never signing Roman Polak. Or Matt Martin. Yeah. They're, they're, under they're, Kyle Dubas, this is what he did with the Sioux, so I assume he would do it again. Their fourth line was really skilled, small and skilled. Hmm. And people were all like, oh, you're going to get beaten out of the rink and whatever. You know, you look at the Sioux's record in the – I think they struggled the first year and then they got Sheldon Keefe in there. And then they – their record right now, I mean, they might break one junior hockey records with how good they are now. Hmm. And, like, some of that is the foundation that, that Dubas put in place. So I – it's 
it's not like trying to hit home runs in terms of gambling all the time. It's like not being afraid to be different than the established mm. way of doing things. Okay, second ramification. Um, if you're Brendan Shanahan, you're going to be worried, I would think, about what kind of relationship would develop between Dubas and, and Mike Babcock. Because he is a very strong force. Would you feel confident that 32-year-old, 33-year-old Kyle Dubas is going to be able to work through that? Like, how do you think that works? I think it's going to be hard. I think it's going to be challenging, for sure. There's a lot of things about the Toronto situation that, you know, I almost wonder if Dubas looked at the Colorado makes the offer, come in, you'll be in charge. You know, like, the Joe Sackick's not going to stand in your way. You have the say, and you can do what you want to do. I almost wonder if he looked at that. It was like, this is be so much like I can actually do the things I want to do. Mm-hmm. I can like do what I did in the Sioux, all these, all these like weird different thing, ways of doing things. Yep. And people aren't going to inf- interfere because he had a direct line to ownership in Colorado with uh, Josh Kroenke, yep. the the son of, of the, the billionaire who I know for sure is a big analytics guy and who's been, who's been at Sloan and who's been hiring guys like Arik Parnas, who's an analytics guy. And- Hired Masai. Right. The the son did? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I just wonder if Kyle looked at... The, like, I, it sounds like Kyle wanted to go to Colorado, which is really interesting. And I wonder if he just looked at the way that things are in Toronto and how, like, kind of screwed up it is. And there's all these big voices. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I, I should say this. Like, Kyle didn't tell me what's happening in that story. That's mm-hmm. not... None of that was from him. He... No, no. I don't talk to him. He's... No, he's loud. He... But like not, I'm like no, uh, I'm not lying. Like not even like off the record. Like well, we can fill people in. Like that changed basically the day Lou was hired. Yes, we we used to talk to Kyle, and then Lou came in. Kyle was supposed to speak at a coaches conference in Vancouver that a friend of mine runs, and he and Lou was hired, and he dropped out the day before the conference. And my buddy was like, "What?" But yes, so. Uh, Kyle talks a little bit. He talks once a year, I think, to the Marlies reporters. And even like now, he's not allowed to even barely talk about the Marlies right. publicly that I've seen. Like if we requested him tomorrow to talk about the Marlies, it would, yeah. They'd say talk to Lou. Right. Which is unreal. Right. But. Bat was, I, I don't know. I don't know if I've told this story. But so, wait, wait. Before we finish this. Yes. Actually, no. Go ahead. You have a story. Well, I was going to tell a story about the how weird things are with the Leafs. I can't. I haven't done this on the podcast, have I? The Levo thing? So you're on the road, you're on the road with, uh, I think in Boston, and uh, Hockey Night Canada reports that oh, Levo yeah. requested a trade. Yeah. So after the game, you go to Babcock, or, or you or one of the other reporters said, oh, uh, can you comment on Levo requesting a trade? Babcock says, I don't know anything about that, you have to ask Lou. Which was my fault, I should have asked for Lou right after the game. I was just distracted by the game. So it's fine. Yeah. So that night, I, I heard Babcock say that. I was at home watching the game and, and listening to the... Um, the press conference and whatever. And um, so he says, you have to ask Lou. It's like, okay, fine. You didn't get a chance to talk to him in Boston. I sent Lou an email. I said, Lou, can you confirm that Josh Levo requested a trade? That's all it said. Like it wasn't. And I don't hear anything. I don't hear anything. And then Monday, that was Saturday night. Monday morning, the PR guy calls me at like 7.30 in the morning or something and says, um, Lou won't answer won't answer that question so so there's it's like this well really, and then i got him on the phone right that afternoon saying nothing and, about it no and then he's like he didn't request a trade to me which just seemed like total semantics so like the way that it would work under nonus and burke and i could send an email to burke or nonus anytime i wanted and they would just say 
Like, they would just say that. They would say, like, no, he didn't request a trade or what. And, and then it's like, okay, that's fine. Then, to be fair, I know if you request Lou, you get Lou. Right. Like, Lou is very available. It's just he doesn't do direct yeah. contact with reporters. It's just kind of like it's, yeah, bizarre it's that Babcock says talk to Lou, and then you try and talk to Lou, and then they say he's not going to talk to you, and then you talk to him, and then he well, does talk. Well, they want you and... to go through the team. Right. But anyway, um, so let me finish this part up with, with Babcock. Do you think it matters like if the coach in and the GM are sort of on differing pages philosophically? Well, that's what I put in the story. I think it's good. I think that Babcock is such a strong personality and a strong mm-hmm. voice in a good way, like most of the time that it's good to have strong opinions and it's good to have all these things and it's good to like Nikita Zaitsev and whatever. I mean, it's... Okay, so let's use an example. So like I'm Mike Babcock and I, I say, I want Roman Polak on my team. And you're Kyle Dewis and you say, we're not signing him. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I'm the coach. I, I got... I'm, a, I'm yeah, here you're the, the longest. Coach. I would I, be like, yes, you are the coach. Okay, and I have the longest contract and I, I, and I, I should get to pick you know the what players you would, I You want. know what I would do is I would say, okay, I don't... Roman Pollock's the right fit, but what about this guy and this guy and yeah, this guy? Okay, what do you think? Works. What do you think of these guys? Like, let's find a guy that you like and I like. But there's, you know, there's going to be like a yes. sort of respect factor to bridge yes. because, like, Babcock will look at him and be like, "What do you know?" From what I've heard, Babcock does respect Kyle. Sure. Especially, but that's now especially when he's in, the yeah, AGM, especially in kind of the analytics role. He, I think, Babcock consults him. Mm-hmm. And we know Babcock looks at some of the stats and yeah, yeah. Takes. Okay, so another another thing, part of this, and you mentioned this in the story, um, Shanahan and Lula Morello, that is a close relationship. Like, that's like 30 years, 31 years, whatever it is, 1987. Yeah. Um, I was six. How do you, like, <laughs> I would think that, yeah, I don't know, I was one. Um, how do you think that would be, I don't know if you're, you're not firing him, but you're not exactly, well, he doesn't you're want sort it. of pushing him out he into wants a role he doesn't want. He wants to be the GM. That can't be easy like i can't imagine that would be an easy thing to do. well and that's part of why i'm on the fence about whether or not it's going to happen because i wonder if i wonder if shanahan just thinks you know what lou's done a good job and well but like so is the risk worth it like if you let's say you say you know i don't want to do it yet i'll keep lou for one more year and kyle leaves you okay with that who's your gm when lou's i don't know 83 years old mark hunter can be the guy i just don't think mark hunter he doesn't feel like a GM. Like, he feels like a really good scout. And we've seen examples of this where teams hire, although it's worked in Boston to a degree. It hasn't worked in a lot of places. It hasn't though. worked in many places. Vancouver. Vancouver is the best example where Jim Benning, yes, has not been good. And, and that doesn't I mean... I didn't realize Jim Benning played for the Leafs for so long. Do you know that? Was he a defenseman? Yeah. Yeah. I was looking at his hockey DB the other day. So... That's a risk. It, like, do you want to risk losing the, this guy? I, you... I, I think that part of the reason Shanahan's been successful in Toronto is he hasn't been afraid to make the difficult decisions. He sure. hasn't been afraid to come in. When he, when he first came in, he came. I think he was hired in April. Yeah, he was. It, the season wasn't even over yet. Yeah. And he came in. Uh, he looked around for a couple months. He fires Dave Poulin and Claude Lozelle and hires Kyle Dubas, who's 28 years old, out of junior hockey. How many people would make that decision running the Leafs after it had been there for a couple months? Not very many people would do that. No. That is like a very... Well, and from what we understand, like he was, he pushed to get Nylander, right? Like that was, he wanted Shanahan skill. did? I don't know. Isn't that the, the, the idea that I don't we think have? we know. Yeah. I'm not... I. It seemed pretty much like that old group would have picked Nick Ritchie. Yes. Or someone like that. It did, It yes. 
It felt very symbolic at the time. And maybe it wasn't. Yes, at that draft, it felt like something had changed. Yeah. Something did change. Something did change. So Shanahan has tried to be a progressive. He's an old school guy in that he played in the league a long time and et cetera, et cetera. But he has tried hard to learn about the analytics and to incorporate guys like Kyle into like... Mm -hmm. You know, I think that I, I, I know that Shanahan looks at what Eiserman's done in Tampa, and Tampa's using analytics, and Tampa's drafting Russians, and Tampa's doing all of these things that well, are. And Tampa Tampa's has, trading Ben Bishop, even though he's their number one goalie, and they're doing a lot of things that they're they're doing. Like, it's not a perfect comparison, but like it's very Bill Belichick in New England, where it's like you're making hard decisions, you're like foreshadowing problems. Yes, like you're like we're not going to resign You're anticipating what's going to happen. We're going to we're going to have Vasilevsky. And look how brilliant that but looks. But there's a big difference. Eiserman's a GM. Eiserman's day-to-day. Shanahan's more like step back and be Eiserman's got to find his well sort of And Eiserman also has Breezewa. That's what I was going like to say. His right-hand guy. Eiserman has Breezewa who's probably the smartest AGM in the league who's probably going to be a GM next year. I mean is my guess Maybe depending on depending on who gets let go. Yeah. So Shanahan needs his Brisebois, and if it's well, not Kyle, then he needs somebody else to be it. Well, if it's not Kyle, then you probably don't have that guy internally, like a young kind of innovative, creative. Yeah, it'd type. be interesting to. I don't know what Pridham's ceiling is as an executive. I mean, we're kind yeah, of guessing, but I think he's a really, really bright guy that he could potentially be a GM somewhere. Yeah, well, with all the cap stuff, that's important. Yes, it's weird. It ha- it still hasn't come to hockey hiring guys who are just smart that might not have ever played hockey at a high level well i mean kyle qualifies yeah eric tolsky and but he's not a gm i'm saying there's there's one gm and that's chica chica yeah and yeah chica actually did play hockey at like i think he played junior i think oh yeah right junior but i'm saying like yeah it's it hasn't come to hockey yet um chica has not worked out that great either so uh they've made some well the problem is like when you try to like fast forward a process by signing and trading for guys who aren't that good. They have won under Cheka, they've won fifty of hundred and forty seven games, which is dead last in the NHL. They've won a third of their game less a little over a third of their games. Yeah. And they signed a bunch of guys and, and that's that's with Ranta having but you know good what? numbers this year. One little F up can make a really big difference. You choose Strom over Marner or yes. Varensky or whoever, that's like a big Right. Zero. Did you see my piece so on far. comparing the Leafs and the Sabres and the yeah. rebuild? That's kind of like, you look at the, the it's, Sabres it's all, yeah. made all of those trades and they lost all of them, mm-hmm. most of them by a little bit. And it adds up to, if you trade it's all like of your... It's multiples. If like, you keep making mistakes, right. they add up. Yeah. You take Reinhardt, like Reinhardt's actually pretty good, but like you take Reinhardt over a dry sidle, you trade for Kane, you sign a Poso, like you do all these things and it starts to add up. The thing is, the Leafs have had some things that could have gone the wrong way and they just got very lucky let's be honest what's an example before they while they still have dave nonis as the gm they they apparently try to sign dave bull and they try to trade for josh georges like there's lots of little things i mean they even some have gone the wrong way like the zaitsev contract we didn't understand at the time and we understand it less now matt martin i don't know like there are things that, that could have gone south that didn't happen for various reasons. So, so all of those things we're talking about, I think the but best... But they've also made all these other good decisions that yeah, help yeah, insulate yeah. you a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, So... I think the best way you put it was that you need to anticipate what your future looks like. You need to yes. map out what your cap looks like mm-hmm. a year, two... Even I'm doing that in the press box all the time now. So I'm like, 
can the Leafs afford John Tavares? Well, yeah, of course they can next year. But then you look at the year after that, and then you look at the year after that, and it's like, can they afford Jake Gardner? Can they afford good timing? We're oh, talking about Tavares we're gonna, now. We're going to talk about Tavares, yeah. So it's but it so like they need to model out what their cap looks like to the best they can think for the next five years. Yeah, and when you're it, signing Nylander. And what it looks like if you sign Nylander short, if you sign him long. I don't feel like teams were doing that like two or three years ago. I still feel like there's teams around the league that aren't doing that. Like if you we're debating do you sign Nylander for three years or eight years, you need to model out your entire roster, your entire cap situation for all eight years yeah. and say like this is what this looks like. and Well, and which prospects are going to make the yes. jump and how much you're paying them. Oh, Dermot's up for a contract in three years and like... We project he's going to be playing twenty minutes a game by then, so his next contract's not going to is, could be four million or you know right. I don't know. I mean, well, I mean, if we're doing it, they better be doing it. I'm sure that I think the Leafs are. I think that that's like Pridham and so, I think some of their analytics guys are good at that stuff too. Like the, right. I can't remember the the term for it in business. Like really successful, high level data oriented businesses like banks and stuff do that stuff all the time. The like mm-hmm. future plotting stuff. Makes sense. Oh, yeah. I've got, I mean, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, we do that in our day-to-day lives. Like, I'm looking at... I do that with my fantasy baseball team. <laughs> I don't... I'm not in fantasy anymore. I gave it up. I was spending way too much time on it. It's not fun. My Actually, ho- it is fun. I, I was the commissioner of the hockey pool, and it was too time-consuming. Okay, let's talk about John Tavares. Um, you wrote that... I think that the basic idea is going to be very hard if they want to do it. It's going to require, like, lots of maneuvering... Do you think it's something that they should do? Yeah, I would pursue it. And especially if you can try and convince them to take a little bit lower number. What is a lower number? 11? 10, 10. I was going to say. I don't know if he's going to do it or not. Maybe you flip a pick to the Islanders and you can get him eight years. I don't... Yeah. He's still not that old. He's still really, really good. Like, why... I think you have to pursue it, and then you deal with the ramifications after. Okay, but so the Maybe you make them an are... offer and you say, we're not giving you a no-trade clause because we need to be able to move you if potentially that's a problem. But the ramifications aren't nothing either. Like, you're probably having to trade Kadri or... You probably lose you Gardner. You lose Gardner. Like, so... Like, the the roster I had in my Tavares post, their bottom 4D were all cheap guys. Which yeah. is... they like It was like Riley, Zaitsev were the top two paid D. And then it was Dermot Lilgren were in the top four by, by year two. Because next year... They can fit Tavares in, and they can sign like a defenseman, and they can. They have tons of cap space next year. Tons. Hmm. I think that next season could be this summer could be fascinating. Like, what are they going to do with eighteen million in cap space? Or maybe you make like a one-year you... offer to Tavares for fifteen million. That's never like you're talking about innovative stuff. That's innovative. But I, I don't know. What's I, the max you can offer a player? What, is it it's twenty percent of the cap, and the cap's going to be close to eighty, so it would be almost sixteen. That'd be interesting. They could do it. the The question, though, if you're Tavares, is like if you get hurt and like you're passing up the. I guess you take out insurance. But you could bet on yourself. I mean, players have done that before. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I mean, like if you slot him in, and suddenly like your one, two, three is Matthews, Tavares, ridiculous. But so, is it worth it to have a really crazy forward group and a pretty lackluster defense? Like, can you win that way? Would it hit? I yeah, know. I think I mean, you can. Pittsburgh showed last year. I think you can, and they can also think about 
you know, if you can move Martin and you could, you they, I mean, they could. Oh, look, that'll happen for sure. Yeah, right? but they could look at, you know, what I'm saying. They could look at moving some other things around that might free up a little bit of room. Maybe they can bring in a defenseman that makes three million. Maybe you trade Ron Hainsey and get an upgrade on him. Maybe you can find a way to move Zaitsev. Maybe you trade Kadri. And maybe Nealander's your third line center. But I think one I mean, of the, I'm just saying like there's the thing is eventually. though is that Kadri's going to outperform his contract, so there's no well, point in trading him. But you're gonna have to. You're not gonna have room eventually when Matthews is making twelve and. Yeah. You're gonna have to do something. Like I know, but I don't think a four and a half million dollar cadre is like. But that's what I'm saying. Like he has value. I don't know. Like I'm just trying to figure out like what you would have to do. Yeah. There would be hard decisions. I. Oh, for sure. They would have to try and get Marlowe out of there for that third year for sure. Like you do that, then all of a sudden that opens up room. So I don't understand this. Like if you sign Marlowe, why why don't you think you can win this year? Like what's the point of having Marlowe at. 38 and Hainsey at 37 if you don't think you can win this year like I don't understand well, I think they do think they can win this year don't they I they do so. do you think so like yeah I, I'm not well, sh- I don't know they do think they can win this year yeah I guess they do I don't know the trade deadline kind of this is what I'm talking about bit. is that like the it's it kind of feels a bit old schooly some of the stuff that they're doing like, yeah, it's just like, like it's like I said with the no more half measures thing. It's like decide which way you're dancing. Like, I just don't know what you like. We looked at you and I looked at it. Like when you, if you're trying to be a buyer, there just wasn't a lot out there that made you that much better. Yeah, unless like you came up with this creative offer and tried to trade for Carlson. But like that's assuming that Ottawa would even trade Carlson to Toronto. Yeah, I don't. I'm worried about Carlson's ankle and what he's going to be, and his next right. contract's going to be huge. And I, I, that whole situation scares the crap out of me. I just, I just, I guess why, why I think that is, I keep hearing Lou Lamorello being like, "Well, we're still in the process." He's gonna say that no matter what. They're gonna be in like the Stanley Cup final, and he's gonna be saying, that. <laughs> "Yeah, I'm not kidding." Like, we're just in a process. We we can win the cup. It's but... a five year plan that changes day to day. Oh, and you're, I you're, stopped using that quote after one day. Your impression of of him is better than mine. Yeah, I just make it like Mayor Quimby. that's basically it okay so one more thing before we go uh i wrote about frederick anderson this week um and reducing his workload i think we've talked about this on the podcast before but why don't you think the nhl is more progressive with goalies and rest it just hasn't gotten to that point yet but it feels like it's getting to that point with players skaters but like not with goalies which is bizarre because they're playing the whole game and i still kind of think that the ultimate solution for goalies is going to be that there's not that much difference between backups and starters and most teams successful teams are going to start going a tandem route and i'm not sure about that teams i mean like 10 years from now like 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 what's like the what's the evolution of the position going to look like it's like teams like to know that they have a guy that they can count on yeah you know what i mean but that like the problem is anyone has that guy well that's the problem like is price now like what the hell is price it's the same as every, like Holtby was the guy you could count on. Now he's not, and then, well, and then Anderson's like now the guy you can count on. But is he going to be two years from now? And yeah, Mike Smith you couldn't count on two years ago, and now you can this year, and now he's hurt. And like, but goalies get hurt all the time. Yeah, and for teams not to spend more on the backup position is just it makes no sense to me. I would not pay any goalie seven, eight, nine million. I would not pay any goalie that much money unless it was Hasek in his prime. Well, the highest paid will be price next year at. Ten and a half. But look at the Lundqvist. Con- yeah, Lundqvist price is, is going to be price's contract is going to be a, a mess. It's yeah. going to be a mess. He's thirty. 
got eight years at ten million. It doesn't start until next or ten and a half million or yeah, like it's it, ten and a half. It, it was I think Lundquist is either seven and a half or eight and a half. If I got put in there as the GM, I would be trying to trade that to my first day. And do some there te- be teams? Yeah, some team would do it. I yeah. guess. Hmm. That's why you get on it right away. I just don't understand at this point why they wouldn't cut back some of the games from Anderson. Like, what are you gaining? I, that's the part I couldn't figure out. Mike's just wired in the way that, and it's his decision that he wants to win as much as possible, and he wants to go into the playoffs winning games. But it's weird. Like, even on some things, he, he kind of sees the bigger picture. Like, he could play Riley 25 minutes a game and doesn't. Did you ask Babcock about it? I didn't he, see he the quote. He got asked about it. Yeah, and he basically said, I keep seeing people talk about how many starts he's making or games he's playing, but I just look at all the breaks we have and the days off, and that's valid. But... A, the number of starts doesn't account for how many shots he's facing, which is like one of the most ever in the history of the league. Well, and he's not super experienced at... I is should, this his second I, year? People should look at this Brent Johnson tweet string. Here, you you fill some space. This is this is worth us bringing up. Yeah. So Brent I, Johnson, the former backup goalie for Pittsburgh, Washington. Calgary? Was he in Calgary? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think briefly. So he did a 13-tweet string about goalies playing too much. He played a long time in Washington, so he's a lot about Holpe. Brayden Holpe is an excellent top-tier NHL starting goalie. One thing I've been saying for some time now is that in today's game, with the incredible speed, pace, and chaos, starting goalies are getting more fatigued than ever. The constant pressure of having to be fully prepared night in, night out has a wearing effect on one's body and mind. Since 2013-14, Brayden has started 298 games. That's a hell of a lot of time. I don't care who you are. What I'm saying is there are boundaries for what a person's body and mind can endure. It's also more noticeable when a goalie is off his game in comparison to a forward or a defenseman. Mid-season fatigue happens to goalies around the league, not just in Washington. A goalie will rarely tell a reporter that they're exhausted or express this sentiment with the coach. They just keep strumming along because that's what they're expected to do. Some starting goalies get away with playing subpar games down the stretch because their respective teams get the job done in front of them. Therefore, from the outside, the goalie keeps winning, people in power keep playing them, and getting back to Braden, who in the past few years has changed his game for the better from that of a radical game to a more efficient, detailed game. But the past month or so, I have seen him make mistakes that I haven't seen in him all season. Puck handling, a bunch of different things. If what I've read is correct, and Coach Trotz is looking to go with Grubauer a little bit more down the stretch, that's a positive. It's positive for Holpe, for Grubauer, and for the Capitals in the playoff race. There are reports that Vasilevsky is saying he's tired, and I'm not surprised. Many former cohorts of mine have expressed to me the feeling of being totally drained numerous times throughout my career, sometimes looking totally defeated in doing so. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's easy to be a forward or a D-man. It's just totally different mentality. A goalie has to be locked in for 60-plus minutes, following the puck every square inch of the ice surface. Um, A goalie, especially during the peak of his career, doesn't forget how to stop the puck. The body is just reacting in unusual ways because the mind is tired. You know, coaches around the league should take notice when they start to see a pattern of uneven play. So he's basically saying what we're arguing that yes. it, it's great, eh? Like, isn't that yes, that's, that's exactly like what the point, like that's just a more eloquent If the experience. coaching staff can afford to manage their goaltenders, especially if you have two capable goalies, and most teams do now throughout the season, their team will be better for it. The season is a marathon, not a sprint. I think what fans don't always appreciate and they always, every time I talk about this, they're like, oh, well, they make lots of money and they're charter jets and whatever. The schedule is crazy. It's the really schedule, hard on your body. The schedule is super, super punishing. And yep. until you live it, you've done every game before. And I've traveled with them and it's still very hard it's, on your body. And I wasn't playing. It's really hard on your sleep. It's yeah. 
we're talking about elite elite athletes and goalies where like the difference of two or five percent or whatever makes a huge difference you could get that if you rested them more if they played less and i know the goalies want to play and i know the coaches want to play but that's an example of something that's like a bit of an old school mentality where they're just they're burning these guys out and they don't have to they're pushing for the moment to win in the day and they're costing themselves the year in some cases right well, and it's interesting that, that I didn't see that stuff about Trotz and Holtby. It's interesting that he's kind of come around to the idea. Now, granted, he has a, a, a really good young backup, but like it just would serve the, the Leafs in the bigger picture to have Anderson a little bit more rested, a little bit more healthy for the playoffs. Like, I, that's the part I don't understand. And like, it's become a thing in the NBA where, like, what about injuries too? I mean, what, what if, about if Anderson too? gets hurt? Yeah. But it's become a thing in the NBA where, like, they feel like if we can take five minutes off of every game, and five minutes doesn't sound like a lot, but, like, you multiply that over 80 games, so, like, by the playoffs, that's a lot of minutes that they haven't had to play or think or, like... Well, and they're sitting stars in games and stuff. So, like, I just don't know why you wouldn't do it It's because it's the way we've always done it. Yeah. That's that's the answer. It's because this is the way it's been done. Hmm. But the NBA, I know that they've gotten really into the catapult and the sports science uh, measuring biometric data and stuff like that. And they can see when guys are fatiguing. And Well, and their schedule gets busy again the rest of the way. Like after this little break, it's it's like every other day. Yeah, so I, I know. Just... I'm not looking forward to the road. And <laughs> and it's not. And the thing is, like, I did not believe in Curtis Mackley. He's been good. Yeah. He's been fine. He looks weird in the net. Like he doesn't look. I almost wonder if shooters don't know what to do with Curtis McElhaney. He's like kind of like Reimer, but even like more extreme. It would be interesting, yeah. Like it would be interesting to see like a team just basically in this position with their their playoff positioning basically set to just shut down their goalie for like two weeks and then have him get back for the last. Well, that might be weeks. too extreme, but okay, I think you could bring him back to one start a week. Yeah, especially they play like some crappy teams. I don't know. Anyway, all right. No, I agree with you. I know. Yeah. And the thing too is that you look at the what the analytics guys have looked found on goalies they find that goalies peak a lot younger than people think. You know, right. there's all this stuff about, you know, goalies peaking later and 29 years old and whatever. It's not true. So, you know, there are, like, what teams should trust younger goalies more as backups to play more games. The way that it is now is younger goalies stay in the AHL because they can play 60 games there. It's yeah. like, well, maybe playing, six, maybe playing 30 in the NHL is... Well, and you know what would happen. Like, so let's say that Mike came around and he was like okay we're gonna we're gonna bring up sparks or pickard to play a couple games they get shelled their first game he's like fuck this <laughs> we need i'm not dealing with that again put anderson back in done i just think that eventually you look at the marlies are doing split and starts with two good goal i just yeah and the the thing that people say now that's happened is that there used to be a big gap between the backups and the starters in the nhl and that's disappearing there yeah. are a lot more grubauer holby situations than there used to be well, and I thought it was interesting that none of the goalies who reached the cup final played that like that many minutes or faced this many shots. I don't know. I found that. I don't know if that. I, I wasn't sure if it correlates exactly. I mean, Brodeur probably did in 2012, right? But minutes, not shots. Right. Brodeur never faced the amount of shots that yeah. Anderson's going to face well, this year. Well, never many teams make the cup final when they're third last in the NHL in shots against. Yeah, that's the other thing. That's the, the, the other elephant in the room is like if they're not better defensively, they're not making the cup final. So. But we've been saying that for months, and you know, it's you talked about this the way they're playing coming back to roost on them and what, whatever. Like it just felt like in January when they're winning all those games that Babcock didn't feel like they were playing poorly. 
No, there were some games that they didn't play poorly and like they, they melted them away late. And then like they started winning all those games and they weren't playing great in some of those games either. They just were scoring a shitload and Anderson was playing pretty well for the most part. Yeah. So like fifty did they win the fifty seven shot game? I can't remember. Columbus? Mm, yeah, I think they I think they won they that. They did, right? yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. All right. Anything else so, you want to mention? Buy Bab Socks. Yep. They're our sponsor. Uh, thank you, thank, Andrew Nolan. Thanks to Andrew Nolan. And and next next time we do a podcast, which I have no idea when that's going to be. I guess early next week we'll do one. Yeah, next week we can actually do it. I'm leaving on Wednesday. I'm going. I'm going to Florida for a few days. Before the team goes. Yes. Wait, when does the team go? Are they only playing one game in Tampa, or in Florida? Just Tampa. Right? They're doing Tampa then Nashville. Right. All right. So I'm going to miss some of these games. But anyway, Dallas. Let's leave Sabers. Let's record. Yeah there i think so next tuesday we'll do one and we're gonna have two mics and it's gonna be glorious and it's gonna be because you bought so many bab socks that it paid for a second mic (laughs) all right we'll see you next week thanks for tuning in to the leaf report follow the guys on twitter at jonas siegel and at myrtle Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.